You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now. Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today is about news, 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 and a little bit more news for you. Although the CBA thing sounds like it's uh, geared down quite a bit, and we're not going to be getting any resolutions anytime soon, which is unfortunate because that was supposed to be the point at which teams are making a bunch of moves, which if it starts to take a real negative turn, it's kind of, it was more of a pause, but uh, if it if it starts to make a real negative turn, teams might just start acting. In other words, we can't wait anymore. We got to start making decisions. We got to get going. I mean, the combine is going on right now, not the actual on tape type stuff. We can't watch any of the uh, on-field exercises, whatever, but uh, teams are there. And the, the other cool thing about the combine Certainly underrated. Everybody just wants to tune in to watch the 40 times. But this is where a lot of deals get done. It's also where a lot of rumors start to swirl. As guys start talking, this is also, if there's ever going to be Packers rumors, this is kind of when it starts. Again, the Packers have got to be the most tight-lipped organization ever. I, I've got a bunch of places I like to go for different rumors and things that people are hearing. And every single time, I think even recently somebody had asked, are there any rumors about the Packers and somebody had said, no, it's hard to get rumors about them, but they'll start. And again, I don't think rumors come out of the organization. I think they start when you got guys like Gutekunst or whatever, having conversations with other camps and those camps start to leak stuff. But um, yeah, a lot of conversations going on at the combine right now. The, again, the, the workouts, the actual stuff that you can watch on TV and whatnot starts Thursday, this coming Thursday, but guys are already in Indy. So, I mean, this is this is the start of it, man. I mean, some stuff, like I said, has been trickling, but they're they're having their meetings. They're making official, official decisions right now. They're, uh, you know, trying to get some deals done. Some of that is kind of under the table. You know, we're not supposed to be negotiating, but, you know, maybe we sit down next to each other and talk about the weather and whatnot and see where it goes. But anyways, again, there was a bit of a, a halt in what seemed to be some pretty positive CBA news. And again, it, it may, rather than being the CBA is done and now open the floodgates, it may just be a slow trickle of teams saying, we can't wait anymore. Let's just go ahead with, with what we think is best. But we'll see. But there's uh, all kinds of stuff. CBA stuff, 
some Bears rumors, a little bit more on the Lions. Uh, Gutekunst had met with the media, said a couple things. So just looking at a bunch of different things. That is what we're doing today. So as always, make sure you join the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you're looking to help out, talking with people about the podcast is a great way to do that. Leaving a rating and review is another way. iTunes obviously is the most obvious, but only about half of you are using iTunes, which is a massive amount. But that still leaves half of the audience going, I don't know how to do that. I actually just got a question yesterday about how do I leave a review when I don't use iTunes. The only other one that I'm aware of is called Stitcher, S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R. So if you just Google Stitcher Packernet, it'll pop up and just scroll down to the bottom. You'll see the ratings and reviews. Click write a review. You don't have to log in. You don't need an account or anything like that. It'll take two minutes. Just if you're interested. Like I said, somebody reached out yesterday and asked me. And it just dawned on me now. And then thirdly, of course, joining Patreon. If you're one of those uber-rich folks who can afford a dollar a month, it would be greatly appreciated if you could help support the efforts of the podcast. Again, I've got several subscriptions that I like to use, as well as now funding giveaways, because I just can't help myself. I don't think they actually do very much. I'll be completely honest. If, if you're motivated by the giveaways, let me know, because I'm curious. Because I swear, every time I'm like, oh, you know what I should do is a giveaway, and then a bunch of people will be involved in it. And there's not that much of a response. And then I'm like, you know what? No giveaway. I just I just would like some help. Would you mind helping? And I just, I get, there's, there's no difference between the two sales pitches. I, I, I have a hard time believing it, but it almost seems as though people just want to help out. And it's, it's weird to me, but I appreciate it. Speaking of, we are at 94 patrons. So if there's six more of those good-hearted uh, people out there to get us up past that 100 patron mark, that would be very, very much appreciated. Special thank you to Tommy for jumping on board. Welcome to the family, my man. I got—I haven't done something in a while. I should do something this weekend to put it up on Patreon. But anyways, let's take our first break, and we'll start, uh, you know, seeing what's going on in the world of football. You know, this morning I woke up, and I actually heard some birds chirping outside. I was excited because I was like, dude, is it like 40? Turns out it was only 24, but the birds don't care. They're excited. I have not heard birds chirping. If you're not from up north, let me tell you something. It, it, it just it does something to you when you wake up and you hear the birds chirping a little bit. It's just good for your heart. If you're like me and you feel like, I just need more of that. You know, like sunlight, air that doesn't just randomly punch you in the face just because. Maybe it's time for you to follow your favorite baseball teams down to Arizona for the Cactus League spring training. Fantastic weather. I'm sure they got lots of birds making all kinds of noises down there. Great landscapes. Amazing food. Like my new favorite thing that I've never had, the cheese crisps. And what a great time that would be. Get some cheese crisps, walk on down to the stadium, get some, some autographs, kick your feet up, watch a little baseball, and then go explore Arizona. They're going to be down there for a while, so you got time to think this over. But I would encourage you to go enjoy it. Get out of here. Enjoy some nice weather. Go over to visitarizona.com slash spring training right now. Just poke around, check it out. There's nothing quite like a spontaneous trip. When you're looking at it just for the sake of looking at it, and you're like, you know what, I'm doing this. And then you just do it. I've been on a couple of those. Glorious. Drove to to South Carolina on a whim. Had a three-day weekend. Drove to South Carolina. One of my favorite times ever. Visit Arizona.com slash spring training. And if it's joint pain that's holding you back from going out and enjoying your life, remember, Omax Health is the solution. If you're looking to get rid of that nagging muscle and joint pain right now, 
while at the same time providing long-lasting recovery, you need to try the natural breakthrough pain relief solution, CryoFree CBD Roll-On, developed by Omax Health. There is no prescription required, and it is a triple-action pain relief roll-on that is specifically formulated to block pain receptors, reduce inflammation, and improve muscle and joint flexibility. The best part of all of this is that this 100% natural CBD-powered remedy is going to work within 10 minutes of when you roll it on, and this thing is going to last up to 8 hours. You can get a lot of stuff done in 8 hours, and you're not going to get that kind of relief from over-the-counter stuff. Right now, Omax Health is offering all of my listeners 20% off a full bottle of cryo-free CBD pain relief roll-on, plus you're going to get free shipping on that. This discount is also going to apply toward any product they have on their entire site. Just go to omaxhealth.com today and enter code OVERTIME, that's O-M-A-X health.com, and enter code OVERTIME to get 20% off cryo-freeze and anything they've got site-wide. All right, let's rock and roll. So again, this I don't want to go super in-depth on the CBD stuff. CBD, ah, uh, see? CBA, that's a different thing. I don't want to go super in-depth on the CBA thing. Because I'll be honest, as I'm reading through it, I'm kind of bored a lot of the time. And I don't want this to be a boring podcast. So we'll try to do some bullet points. Uh, one of the things I forgot to mention is that part of the negotiation for the CBA would also increase the roster size. So instead of a 53-man roster, it becomes a 55-man roster. So again, listen, I'm not a, I'm not trying to take sides. Everybody is taking their own side. Everybody is self-interested, and they should be. The owners have, uh, here's a way for us to benefit ourselves, and here's what we're offering to help benefit you. And the players are looking at it and saying, okay, well, does this best benefit me? And if they don't want to, they don't have to, and I don't care. But the point is, I'm going to take the same approach while still understanding that it's none of my business and they figure out what and do what they want to do. But if you're asking me, I want more games, I want more players, I want higher salary cap, I want all of this. I want more playoffs, I want... Give me all of it. In one less preseason game, boom, done, awesome. I understand there's some negatives. I fully understand a player saying, I'm not risking my body for another game and 250000 bucks. I'm not... Fine, that's fine. I'm just telling you from my perspective, I think it's awesome. And increasing the 53 to 55 is only going to further benefit it, especially when we're cutting a preseason game. Because as boring as that is, there are players who are winning and losing spots based on all these preseason games. And in fact, for some of these guys, I'm guessing coaches would love more preseason games to give them more opportunities to really evaluate some of these guys. You look at Alan Lazard and how critical he was down the stretch for the Green Bay Packers and the ability to win some of these games where he seemed to be the only thing going. Remember, he was let go. There was a very real possibility he wasn't going to be able to come back. Nobody was going to touch him. Fortunately, nobody picked him up. We were able to bring him back on board. But you can also think of other examples. No guarantee we were going to keep him anyways, but look at guys like Taysom Hill. How much maybe was he on the bubble as far as the Packers saying, I kind of want to keep him, and saying, look, he's just he just didn't make it. So there's no question the, the Packers would like to keep more players than what is allowed. And, and by allowing 55, again, especially with less time to evaluate it's only two more spots, but it's still kind of nice. Every time we do the 53 cut down, it's always tough because there's always at least a, a couple more that you want, especially when you look at like offensive line. There's a bunch of guys you maybe don't want, but you really need the depth. And so it, it, it always becomes problematic. You think about a lot of guys over the you know guys like Trevor Davis. I'd love to, I'd, I'd hate to lose a guy like that because of what he can do in the return game. But at the same time, do I really want to give him a spot? Those extra two spots don't seem like much until you actually do a 53 cut down. And, you know, if somebody offered you two spots, you would be elated. So that was one of the things that I forgot to mention. I'm sure there's a bunch of other nuanced things that, I, you know, if, if I don't even 
having a podcast care enough to really dig in and find out what it means, I, I just especially when it's not even finalized, I'm not going to sit down for an hour and learn what the heck you're talking about. I just don't care that much. If it passes, fine, I'll force myself to learn it. However, apparently the, the, there was a bit of a surprise in that, and this is kind of a weird process. There is the initial group of voters, which I believe are just representatives, and I want to say there were about 11 of them, and it didn't pass. I think it was like 6 to 5 or something like that. It was close, but ultimately it was a no, and I think a lot of people were surprised. Now, that, that isn't definitive. It's still going to go on to the main body, because I think there are about three... Pro- Again, I don't really understand what's going on. But there's a third group of more people, 20-ish, 30-ish, whatever, that are able to hold a vote. And then it goes on to basically the entire NFL to take a vote, I believe. And I, 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 what I understand is it can still pass if it goes to the main body. And if 50% approve of it, so you know, if, if let's say there's 5,000 people or whatever, which is probably not, but I'm just making up numbers, and only you know 500 vote, and 250 of those votes are yes votes, then it's, I believe then it's it's going to pass. And I think this initial no vote was sort of an advisory group advising the main body to vote no. That's kind of how I'm getting this. But again, it's, it's very weird, and there's a lot of calls going on back and forth. And essentially what this group of six said is, and I think the, the larger group in the NFLPA, which is the union, they want to go back and talk to the owners and renegotiate. The problem is the owners already very passed this by a narrow margin with a lot of these guys saying that we're giving up way too much. We're giving up way too much for this. Now, agree or disagree, it doesn't really matter. That is that is the opinion of a lot of the owners. They were not satisfied with this. They felt that they were giving up too much just to get their TV deals. And a lot of these guys are like, look, I'm not giving up this much shit. And, and, and I don't know how much money some of these guys are making off these teams. Some of these guys in these larger markets are making a bunch of money. And you got to understand, billionaire is, is, is fine, but the, they came into it with billions. Most of that is illiquid, by the way. They can't touch it. It's just they own a company that's worth billions. How much is in their bank account? I have no idea. Could be $100 million, Could be 100 bucks. I don't know. But how much? I, I tried to look it up yesterday. How much money do they make from these teams? They're not making billions. I don't know if they're even making millions. The, the team, and this is the thing, you, you go Google how much do these guys make, and they're like, well, the team made $500 million. That's total revenue that came in. And then the salary cap, which is how much you spend on your players, is two hundred million. So if you made five hundred million, that's three hundred million left over. You got to pay for this building. You got to pay for the. Le- There's a lot of stuff to pay. How much money do these guys get? And so what I'm what I'm wondering, I'm just curious, is if some of these guys, the Jerry Joneses, that have huge markets, uh, the the out in San Francisco, they make buku bucks out there. Some of these guys who have tons of money are like, yeah, let's give them another percentage point. And some of the guys in the smaller markets not actually making a bunch of revenue. I mean, actual income for themselves are like, I'm not giving up more money. But whatever the situation is, apparently not only are they not really willing to negotiate, but if they vote this down, it's only going to get worse, which means the owners are going to start taking stuff away and saying no, because most of them are already not even okay with the uh, the agreement as it is. So the, the thing that currently has me concerned is, and a lot of the players apparently are saying, no, nah, they're bluffing. They want their money. They're, they're just a bunch of greedy people, whatever. They'll take whatever we say that we want. But the prevailing thought is that that's not true. They're very serious about not giving anything else. And if they're not going to accept this, then we're, we're not going to, it's, it's only going to get worse from here. Which, what does that mean for us as fans is the ultimate question. And unfortunately, I think that would mean there's probably going to be 
some issues. I don't know if that means holdouts or what, but if there's not an agreement, there's not an agreement. And I guess the, the biggest sticking point for the players is that 17th game. You've got some guys, I know Richard Sherman and I think uh, Russell Okung are two very vocal uh, people saying basically no. And again, you're going to have a lot of the higher paid guys saying no. I think there's going to be a different overall perception from some of the guys not making quite as much money. I don't know that. Maybe that's not true. But again, the vast majority of NFL football players are not guys making $10 million contracts. That is a very, 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 very small portion. By the way, you've also got guys that are having a hard time. They might not even make the the active roster. And so when you've got the appeal of two more roster spots across 32 teams, we're talking 64 more guys that are on the bubble getting more more opportunities. That's got to be very appealing to a lot of guys. So my personal hunch is that this will eventually get to the players and they will eventually vote yes because I think it's a lot of the higher-up guys, the guys making tons of money, the guys that can live on principle because they don't need the money that are trying to take a stand for the quote-unquote little man, whereas I think the actual little man within the NFL is going to be a little bit more likely to want this deal which has more opportunities, more roster spots, and more money. Just a hunch. I don't know. Patrick, jumping in on Patreon. Thank you, bruh. Let me send you a little little thank you message right quick. Love when that happens on the show. So now we officially have 95 patrons. We just need five more people. But anyways, that's my thought. We'll see what happens. Keep you up to date. There's, there's going to be a lot more talks again with the Combine going on. There's a lot of conversations to be had. And it's close across the board. I mean, this was almost a yes vote. I believe it was one vote away. There was one swing vote that would have made this a yes as as opposed to a no. So they're very much on the fence. And whatever the result, I mean, if it if it gets done, but they concede that 17th game, I would, personally I would much rather have that because I I just want football and I'm content with what we have. But hopefully something gets done and gets done fast because everybody wants this done quickly. Anyways, since we were talking about uh, the Combine, let's talk a little bit about the Combine. Apparently this year they're going to be adding some new drills, so something to keep an eye on. I don't know if you guys like to watch it, but it is really interesting, especially if you've been doing some work and kind of gathering together your list of guys, which again, I'm encouraging you to do. If you want to enjoy this part of the process, all you have to do is go to YouTube or check out Mark Jarvis on Twitter. He's got a draft database. You can go to each individual player, click on them. It'll take you to a big list of, actually, I think if you scroll to the right a little bit, there's something that just says, I think, links or games or videos or film or whatever, film probably, click on that. It'll have a list of their games. It'll just take you to their YouTube games and just watch them. And it's just, I mean, you don't have to be a scout, man. You, you, you like football, you watch football, just watch them and say, do I like this guy or not? It'll make this process a lot more enjoyable because you're going to have certain people and who cares if they're actually good or not. You like them. They're really fast or there's some kind of a style that you like. They've got your style. That's your guy. And then you go to the combine. You got, I think, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, maybe Sunday. I think it's a four-day event where they, they run the 40s. They do all these different drills. And you can, again, just kind of, oh, here comes my guy, right? It's kind of like the Olympics when Team USA comes up. It's like, yeah, here we go. It's my guy, right? So anyways, again. You got until Thursday, just pick a couple. And it doesn't have to be every single position. Go watch your wide receivers and linebackers and see what you like. But, for example, the quarterbacks now, they're adding two drills. The end zone fade, which is the most hated route in history. I don't super under... I mean, I get theoretically why people hate it. However, there's a lot of touchdowns that happen on end zone fades. There just are. So I I don't super understand. You've got the NFL who really seems to like this route. They call the route all the time, and a lot of times it ends in touchdowns. I mean, a lot of times it doesn't, but that's true of 
literally every route that there is. Maybe it's just because when it happens and it doesn't work, it looks like, well, duh, of course that's not going to work. But then again, what is the duh moment about why it does work sometimes? But anyways, for whatever reason, they're going to try to do it. Plus, if nothing else, it's a very technical kind of thing. I mean, the quarterback has got to put it, the timing has to be perfect, the spot of it has to be perfect, and of course the wide receiver has to be pretty perfect in that as well. But it's, it's really one of those things that if you can execute it perfectly, it's indefensible. It's just very hard to do and has a very low chance of working because it's so precise. But that doesn't mean you don't do it. I mean, if you're really good at what you do, then go ahead and do it. The other end of the spectrum, apparently quarterbacks are going to be throwing a smoke route, which is basically what I just call a wide receiver screen. You just, the ball is snapped and you throw it straight out to the wide receiver. So obviously there's some technical aspects to this that I'm unaware of because it sounds overly simplistic. I mean, I guess if you mess that up, that's a problem. I mean, I know you want to throw it out in front of them so that they can kind of get a head start and get moving in the right direction as opposed to throwing it behind them and then they got to turn around and they don't see who's coming and they get popped and it's a nightmare. Still, it's just like, really? Skip the running backs because I don't care. They got to do staley drill, inside routes, change of direction, whatever. Uh, Receivers... Obviously, they're doing the end zone fade as well, but they're getting rid of the toe tap drill. So I guess this is their new, it's kind of like a toe tap tap drill anyways. The tight ends are also going to be running this. There's a bunch of other new drills. They've made some adjustments to the mirror drills for the offensive line. If you want to read a little bit more in depth on it, NFL.com has got a whole story, a whole article about it. Again, it's interesting if you are big on this part of the process. I won't spend too much time because some of you don't care. Something that you all probably will care about is the fact that a couple of reporters apparently had a sit down with Brian Gutekunst. They discussed a couple different things. We got a few different little insights. Some of this is things we already knew, but I think there's a couple interesting little nuggets. It's always fun to hear exactly how somebody answers a question. So for example, the uh, question was asked about whether or not they would draft a quarterback. I don't, well, I guess I do know why. I was just going to say, I don't know why they keep asking the same question over and over. It's got to drive Gutekunst crazy. But I guess the one interesting thing about it is there was a tiny little nugget that he left in there that I think is interesting. So obviously, as you know, the answer is yes. He's answered yes a thousand times. The answer to the question is yes, we're always open to drafting a quarterback. It's always been that way since he's been there, which Gutekunst has been with the Green Bay Packers for a very long time. His way of phrasing it was, you start with the quarterback. So if there's a quarterback available that you think can be the guy, you draft him. That's it. The line that I found was interesting isn't so much would they, but it's a question of will they. The last sentence of this little quote here says, I think it's a little deeper than it has been in the past. It'll be interesting, but yeah, sure. So the yeah, sure was about something else. But the point is, we're picking at 30. Usually all the good quarterbacks are gone. However, Brian Gutekunst's assessment of it is that this is somewhat of a deep quarterback class. Meaning, I mean, considering the context of the question is, would you consider drafting a quarterback at pick 30? And part of his response is, it's a little bit deeper than usual. That means that there are several quarterbacks he believes are worthy of picking at pick 30. Now, maybe that just means there's three, maybe it means there's four or five. But the question is, and what it always is, is how, what is the likelihood of it, it, somebody actually getting to 30? And I think that's where the it's, it'll be interesting part comes in. Because I think the general assumption usually is that the quarterbacks are gone. But I think there's a little bit, maybe a, a little bit more of a question. They're probably going to be gone. But remember, Aaron Rodgers was probably supposed to be gone. Is it possible Especially after, and that's a big part of the reason why nobody knows, we got to see there's a lot of, see there's a lot of quarterback hungry teams, but there's also a lot of quarterback free agents. 
if Tom Brady goes to a different team, Jameis, apparently there's some news that actually he may be signing a, they're working on a two-year extension with Tampa Bay, or two-year contract, I guess, with Tampa Bay. He also went on to say that he believes that this is somewhat of an instant gratification league, and that everybody's trying to win now rather than looking to the future, which is interesting because it, it it's a kind of a couple different things. Everybody knows the general rule. If you were to take a quiz on the correct way to build a team, everybody would give the right answers, right? You draft best player available. You build through the draft, not free. You know, all this stuff. We've heard this a million times, but the Packers truly are much better at this than most teams. And some teams, to be completely honest, and I, I did a little bit of a research thing I was going to do for the show, but it kind of just dead end and it's spending a lot of time on it just for this one little thing but but I wanted to know the leadership structures of a lot of teams and it, it, I tell you what man I think a lot of these teams really are at the top end just run by straight up business people people that are not really football people and they hire people under them that aren't necessarily football people now by the time you get down to GM I think almost all of them except owners who are also GMs are, are football people, but they're all susceptible to being hired and fired, right? You hire a GM, you're the football guy, you draft people and do free agency, and we're going to handle the business side of this. And then they do well or they do poorly. Usually it's poorly because if they're run by business people and not football people and there's not the accountability and there's not the direction and there's not whatever, and they're, they're entirely focused on making money, which means I'm going to tell you as the GM, I'm going to pressure you for us to do well now, to do the flashy thing, to, I want to sell tickets, I want to sell jerseys, and, and that's just not the way, you know, it, it, I guess it just surprises me that not every team is unbelievably competent in the way to build a football team, and we're very fortunate to be fans of a team that genuinely understands the right way to go about doing things, and um, within the NFC North, I, I think it's, it's a serious contrast. I mean, the Green Bay Packers are all football people. Even the one guy who's brought in to be the business guy is a football guy. That's Mark Murphy. He's 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 at his core, he's a football guy. And when things got out of control in the building while he's focusing on the business stuff, as I've said several times, he turned around and he handled the business side of football and he fixed this football team in a year. He cleaned house. He's the one that promoted Brian Gutekunst and let Wolf and the rest of these guys go. He's the one that helped with the help of Brian Gutekunst go out and get Matt LaFleur. He's the one that did all this stuff and got this thing back on its feet. And again, if you look in the NFC North, you know, the Chicago Bears are a little bit iffy. They, they've got that whole passing it down through the years, which is always dangerous, just whether it's football or a business or whatever, because the original guy obviously is a hardcore football guy. But then it gets passed down through the generation. And their president, I believe, is a guy who is, I think he's an accountant. I mean, he's been with the team since, I think, the 80s or early 90s, so... It's very possible he's become a football guy and has understood the business of football over that period of time, not trying to trash him. But in general, you've got a football guy that turned it over to business people that hire other accountants and business people. And, it, it you know, eh. the, the, the most glaring example, at least in the NFC North, is the Lions. You've got, of course, the, the Fords, who are business people. They hire from within their corporation, which a lot of these guys, you got to understand, these are multi-billionaires that run multi-billion dollar corporations and they have some of the best business minds in the world working for them so they say listen i want you to handle this football team and he's a brilliant mind but it's not so much a football thing and so the detroit lions are basically run by a bunch of business-minded folks who maybe aren't exactly the most football savvy people in the world i'm going off on this tangent but again i spent hours going over this because it kind of just shocked me and, and really how it started interestingly enough maybe it's not interesting but it's interesting to me so i'm going to tell you 
There was a conversation about the draft and whether or not the Detroit Lions would draft Tua Tungavailoa because it seems like a, a good decision. Exactly what we're talking about here. If it's the Green Bay Packers, of course, it doesn't mean you have to get rid of your current quarterback. It means you draft a guy that's going to be your future, especially since Matt Stafford might have one, two years left on his contract or, or, or left with his team before they start looking at moving on. So it's actually the perfect time and it's the perfect opportunity to draft the guy. But the consensus on this draft podcast I was listening to was there's no way they're going to do it because the GM and the coach are thinking short-term because they're about to get fired. And I thought, well, why would a president or CEO, why would the people above that who are long-termers in this, who are not risking getting fired, why would they allow that? And, and my question was, I wonder if these are genuinely football people. Now, they're not stupid, so I'm sure they have some comprehension of what's going on. But you would got to think, if you're a football person, to make a decision so that you have people who are making decisions based on the long-term future of your team. And I don't think the Detroit Lions are doing that. If I'm the president of that corporation, which again is a, excuse me, the president of the Lions, who is a, a, a big person in the Ford business, who was brought in to run the Lions for essentially the Ford family, because again, a lot of these people, it's not even so much that these are brilliant business people, these are like the grandchildren of brilliant business people, or the, the wives, the, the wives' daughters, or whatever, that are currently sitting on top of this thing, but they don't they don't understand the business side of it, they don't understand the football side of it, so they hire people. And so you've got an owner who hires a business person to run the business who probably put together a committee to go out and get a GM, and the GM and the coach are like, look, I don't forget Tua, dude, because he's going to sit on the bench, that's not going to help us keep our jobs. So they're going to go out and get Jeff Akuda or or Derek Brown to try to make an impact, to try to win some games to save their jobs while damaging the long-term future of this team. It's just, it blows my mind. And again, the point of this tangent is that there's a, there's a very good reason why bad teams stay bad. One of the worst structured teams that, that exists in the NFL is the Cincinnati Bengals. Blown away by how that works out. Very quickly, as I researched it, the, from what I understand, the, the team named Browns came from this guy named Brown. Apparently he wasn't on board with this, but that that's just how it worked out. He was a coach slash owner. Things didn't super work out. He got booted out of the Browns. So he was like, fine, I'm going to start my own team. He started the Cincinnati Bengals. Fast forward a little bit future, his into the future, his son takes over the business as the owner. Now, again, you've got a son. He wasn't the head coach over there with the Browns. He wasn't this brilliant football guy. He's the son of a brilliant football guy, if he even was that, but he was perceived to be that at the time. This son who was brought up in the business of running a football team, decided that not only is he going to be the owner, he's going to be the president. And not only is he going to be the president, he's going to be the GM. He is everything about this football team, and he knows nothing about football. Now, I'm I'm speaking as somebody, obviously, this guy probably, I mean, he's been immersed in this longer than I have, but hey, your track record speaks for itself, my friend. But he doesn't care, and he doesn't have to, because he's not being held accountable. He can be a terrible GM, and he's not going to get fired because he's the president. And the fired president isn't going to get fired because he's the owner. It's, it's just, it's, it's horrible. And again, it, it's something for us to be excited about because it, football is a game for football people. And it's part of the reason why I'm somewhat anti-analytics because there's always going to be a, a point at which it just falls apart. Analytics are great, but even, you know, business and brilliant business people, you would think that, and I think you get business people who assume they condescend to the idea of football being anything special. They bring in business people thinking that these guys are, you know, 190 IQ guys and they can figure anything out. And they don't understand there's always going to be something about football that's just built on understanding football. There's a feel, there's a 
There's just a know-how. It's an experience thing. It's an attitude thing. It's it's just there's there's a football way of doing things, and we're very fortunate to be a franchise that has always always just been about football. This was built on football. the The entire town is nothing but football. You you know, if somebody brings up Green Bay, the only thing anyone ever knows about Green Bay, including a lot of people that live in Wisconsin, is the Packers. There are probably people that live in Green Bay that have a hard time naming anything about Green Bay of being notable other than the Green Bay Packers. And that's a good thing. The owners are all Packer people. The coaches are football people. Everything is just about the culture of football. And it's a big part of the reason why the Packers are so successful. They've had dark days. There's no question about it. But they, they came back strong and they stick to their roots. Find football people and put them in positions of power. Now, you got to have special, you know, you got to be more than just a football guy. I don't want Brett Favre to be the uh, the president of the company or anything, of the of the franchise, necessarily, because that's not his his thing, right? I mean, we, we gave Bart Starr elevated privileges at some point. That was a pretty dark, pretty dark days. But there's there always has to be an element of football savvy. So anyways, a very long tangent, but the bottom line is, when we take that framework and that, that amount of understanding that I've recently acquired and always kind of knew was in there, and then we read out into what Gutekunst says, and he says, it's an instant gratification league, so everybody is trying to win now, now, now. People don't look at long-term decisions in the moment like probably they should, Detroit Lions. Nobody would look back and say, continuing the quote, that it's a bad decision by Ted to draft Aaron Rodgers. But at the time, quite frankly, I imagine some people were pretty up in arms about it. I know there were people in the building that were but they were wrong. So it will be interesting. And and especially if a quarterback slides, because I think there's really four. There, I mean, there could be more. Maybe the, the the Packers really like Fromm or who knows. But the guys that we know about are obviously Tua and um, Joe Burrow. But there's also Herbert and then Love. Those are kind of the four that are seen as lock first-round guys. But he did say it was a little bit of a deeper group. Maybe a guy like Jacob Eason, six foot six, two twenty-seven. Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, possibly. We don't know who they see as worthy of taking as, as a potential really quality quarterback that could be taken. Now, I, I, again, keep this in the back of your mind because if, if this does happen, a lot of Packer fans are going to be furious, and, and to some degree rightly so because we're trying to focus on now. But remember what Gutekunst said, and remember what I'm telling you about why a lot of teams fail. They're focused on how do we sell tickets today. And, and legitimately, there are teams who are content to be 8-8 eight and eight as long as they can sell out their tickets. As long as I can keep that revenue coming in, I'm doing my job as a business owner. Why shouldn't we get rid of Andy Dalton? Now, granted, obviously, when you're at this position, you take a quarterback. But why haven't they moved on from Andy Dalton for so long? Because he's just good enough. He's good enough. Furthermore, asked about this question, he said, are you ups- are concerned about upsetting Aaron Rodgers? Now, obviously, he said, no, Aaron wants us to win. Now, a lot of this is coach-speak sty- coach type stuff. But the question is, what do we really think? And I, I genuinely believe, although Aaron Rodgers, I mean, may, maybe he'll get upset. We know he's got, like almost every single football player, especially quarterbacks, especially as, as reputable as he is, there's going to be a part of him that's not going to be happy about it. There's going to be a part of him that's going to be very competitive. But I genuinely think Aaron Rodgers, especially because of his experience with Brett Favre, is going to treat this person very well and is going to understand the situation. Because he's been in this guy's shoes, having been there uh, after Brett Favre. But also now having an understanding of Brett Favre's standpoint, he gets a, a general idea of what's really going on. So I don't really think that that would be a problem. And I don't really think that there would be much competition, especially in year one. Now, the, the biggest issue would be 
later on down the line, right? What happens in year two, especially if Rodgers doesn't have that great of a year? Is it officially a competition now in year two? And then you look at the structure of Aaron Rodgers' contract, especially now that they push more money out. You start talking about two years from now. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is now the guy that needs to prove he should be there instead of this other guy if he is a legit quarterback. So anyways, we're obviously going way down the rabbit hole, but I did find it at least interesting that Brian Gutekunst illuminated the idea that they believe that this is a deep quarterback class. And so depending on which quarterbacks are on the board, and this is going to be a lot of fun, and I'm, I'm hoping to be able to do somewhat of a live stream. I did it last year so we can kind of do an interactive thing in the Facebook group, all kind of hang out together and watch the draft together. We'll see. I don't know. I also want to hang out and teach my son how this works because he doesn't still under, quite understand the whole college to pros thing. And now the XFL thing's got them all messed up. But we'll figure something out. But it'll be interesting to see who's available. And if there's any quarterback sitting there, it's like, I, maybe. Um, other points in this, uh, I kind of like, a, it wasn't really a press conference, but meeting with Brian Gutekunst. Hilariously, the question was asked, very similar to the question that was asked of me, do you build this team thinking of the 49ers or do you build it thinking about the NFC North? His answer was the obvious answer. You build for the NFC North. However, I, I still think his his final answer was, we want to work on us. We want to build in what makes us a better team. And I genuinely still believe, although you're not staring at the 49ers and deliberately asking the question, how do we beat the 49ers? The question is, when you want to improve your team, you look at your weaknesses. And when you want to look at your weaknesses, you look at your losses. And when you look at your losses, you're looking at the 49ers. So as much as you might say, eh, no, we're building to beat the NFC North, the way you beat the NFC North is improving your team, patching up holes, and your holes are exposed against the 49ers. So it's still kind of, although the, the intention is not, hey, we got to build this to beat the 49ers, you're still leaning on your experiences from those losses more so than anything else to figure out how to improve your team so that you can beat the NFC North, if that makes sense. At least that's my thought on it. Um, when asked about wide receiver, he mentioned that there would be an emphasis. Now, I've, I've said that, the, you know, we, we've seen Brian Gutekunst attack issues. He does that a lot better than Ted did. Ted was much more conservative. He was very, very football-oriented by the book, almost to a fault. I mean, not almost. I mean, it was to a fault. But we know Gutekunst isn't that way. When there's a problem, he throws everything, every available resource we have at it. And so the, the question was asked, and his direct answer was, this is something we have to put an emphasis on this year, meaning he will address wide receiver. And there's really only, I guess, three ways it could happen, trade, free agency, pickup, or the draft. And the, the interesting thing about it is that when he says we'll certainly put emphasis on it, granted emphasis could just mean we're going to work really hard on trying to do that while not guaranteeing anything, I tend to look at it as there are no guarantees in the draft. I still think they're strict enough that they're not going to force taking a wide receiver if they're not available, although they probably will be. But I genuinely believe they're going to do something in free agency or some kind of a trade to secure some kind of a wide receiver because they know something has to be done. And in general, when you 100% commit to this will get better next year, you have to do something in free agency because there are no guarantees in the draft. And you don't want to handcuff yourself in such a way that you have to make bad decisions in the draft because we didn't address it in free agency. So I genuinely, I, I would, if I were a betting man, I would absolutely put money down. Not that it's going to be a, necessarily a big splash thing, but they will make some kind of a move to bring in a wide receiver, at least one wide receiver. One of the things that he illuminated, quote, was you'd love to have a 6'4", 225-pound guy that can do it all. Now, obviously, the the problem with that is usually the taller and bigger you are, the, the, 
less shifty and everything else you are. So he's kind of just describing the perfect wide receiver. However, um, he did go on to say, I do like tall, long athletes, and we certainly have some of those guys. We've seen that along the defensive line, but we've also seen that at wide receiver. Now, I like K.J. Hamler. I love K.J. Hamler. The problem is I genuinely think the Packers want to get away from that, including in the slot. I think if we're going to get a slot guy, he's going to be a quote-unquote big slot kind of a guy. So do keep that in mind as we go forward. Not that they have to be six foot four monsters, but remember, as much as, I mean, if there's one fault I think in Green Bay, it's the fact that they focus very heavily on attributes. And I, whereas I just want, you know, good players, I think they tend to lean heavily on the let's find the athletes and then we can mold them, which I think generally is sometimes a bad strategy. Now, if you have the right coaches, maybe I, that's why I have a lot of faith in Rashawn Gary. He's got attributes like very few human beings on planet Earth have. And we have Mike Smith that can mold him. That's why I'm confident in that pick. But I, as a general rule, I don't like the, he's not a very good football player, but he's got a lot of attributes. And we're so arrogant, we believe we can coach any anybody to do anything if, as long as they have the attributes. I don't like that. But whether I like it or not, because I generally don't, um, I think the Packers do lean toward bigger guys. And we know they like high spark score guys. So if you, if, you know, for example... Not the biggest T. Higgins fan, but if he falls and T. Higgins actually runs with some decent speed, maybe. Anybody that's a tall guy that runs fast is um, is going to have the Packers Packers eye. And again, that's not to say. I mean, they, they there's generally a standard for corners as well, but they they took Jair also. You know, they like the six foot six foot one corners, and Jair doesn't meet that threshold, but he's a good enough football player. They decided they were going to take him, so they will. It's it's not dogmatic 100 percent in either direction. If somebody's good enough, I, th- I believe they will take a K.J. Hamler, but I just think unless they are a notch above everybody else, they're going to lean toward, again, the 6'4", 225, like he illuminated here. And so, you know, obviously C.D. Lamb is going to be gone. Jerry Judy is going to be gone. But of the available guys here, you look at a guy like LaVisca Chenault, who, by the way, I would be unbelievably elated. He's one of my favorite wide receivers in this class. I didn't actually like him when I first watched him, but after I went through that process of watching some of the lower-level guys and working my way up and kind of getting the feel for you know, what more nuanced things look like. And again, I would encourage you to do that because you watch the best of the best first. It's very You're not as impressed, but you watch how much guys struggle with things and then watch a guy like LaVisca Chenault who struggles with nothing, and you it's its whatever, but 6-2-2-20, and I think he's going to be really fast. I really do. I didn't think he was very fast when I watched him at first, but again, you go watch a bunch of guys that don't have speed and then watch LaVisca, this guy can fly. So I think if he... F- I, I, here's, here's a prediction right now. I think if LaVisca Chenault is available at 30, I think the Packers draft him. I, I don't think he will be, but I, I believe that. And, and that is to say, if he's there as well as Ruggs and Rager and Hamler and Queen and uh, pretty much anybody that could be there. Now, maybe there's some elite offensive tackle, or obviously if there's a, a really good quarterback, if Love makes it to 30 and they really like, there, there are some potential exep- exceptions. But above any other wide receiver that I think could be there, Jerry, Judy, CeeDee Lamb, not a big CeeDee Lamb fan, but apparently he's the best in the class, whatever. Over all the linebackers, I think LaVisca Chenault is a Packers guy. I think he's a Matt LaFleur guy. The versatility, the inside, outside, the fact that he's sort of a Debo Samuel, built like a Mack truck, he'll run people over, great blocker. I just I just think that's the guy. But yeah, I mean, if you're looking for you know, other really big guys, T. Higgins is 6'4", 215. Donovan Peoples-Jones, another guy I like, 6'2", 208. I mean, he's not a monster, but that's, that's a big dude. Denzel Mims, 6'3", 206. Brian Edwards, who's recently just announced, he's he's a 
he's really low on uh, a lot of boards, but I actually put him up really high. I like Brian Edwards out of South Carolina a lot. 6'3", 215, I think it's another. You start looking at potential options maybe in the second round if he's around. I think solid. Colin Johnson, I don't like at all, but 6'6", 221. Michael Pittman, 6'4", 229. It's a big group of big dudes. Quintez Cephas I haven't watched yet, but I need to because a lot of people are starting to really like him, plus he's a badger. 6'1", 207. Not a monster, but again, 6'1", 200 plus. Tyler Johnson, Isaiah Hodgins, Antonio Gandy-Golden, 6'4", 222. Almost exactly what uh, you know was laid out. Gabriel Davis. I mean, there's there's just so many big wide receivers in this class. So I I, I think it's going to be hit on several times, and I I do think the Packers are going to lean toward the bigger guys again. If they draft KJ Hamler, I'm going to be doing backflips. I just don't think it's going to happen. I think at five nine one seventy six, I think there's going to be way too many red flags. He's the kind of guy I think if he makes it to the second round, maybe kind of like a Josh Jackson situation. I don't think there was ever any intention to take back to back corners, but when he made it, it's like I mean. I guess now that since he's here, we might as well take him. I think K.J. Hamler falls into that category where if he falls far enough, they'll they'll take a flyer. But we're talking first round. They're not going to go with a 175-pound dude that's five foot nine. Just a hunch. It's not a, you know, I don't know for sure. Uh, with the salary cap again, we're going to have to end here. i got a bunch more to say, but I've been ranting a lot. Today. This is what happens when I sleep in, man. I sleep in. I'm all wired up. But, uh, you know, free agency. Essentially, he said the same thing. We're going to be able to be players. We're not going to be able to do as much as last year. That's been the consistent message from Gutekunst. That's what I've been saying since last, you know, August. Exact quote, we're not going to be able to do what we did in unrestricted free agency like we did last year. I think that's going to be very difficult just with the restraints that we have. But when you look at free agency overall, salary cap casualties, meaning guys that they're going to cut, will be able to add some players to our roster that can help us, meaning they will add players. So again, go back to that that post that somebody made that the Packers are only going to have $3 million after they cut everybody and they're not going to be able to do anything. It's not true. They're going to sign players. He's flat out telling us that. They're not going to be big, flashy, splashy guys. So maybe the Brashad Perriman getting $15 million or whatever he's going to get, maybe we can just get rid of that idea. But something's going to happen. The other option, obviously, if we look at, for example, the last sentence, we're going to have to do some different things this year. Maybe different just means rather than getting the super... And, and here, here's a couple things that that could mean. Number one, last year, not only did they get um, a bunch of people, but they got young guys. They got young guys and gave them their first massive contract, which means they were very expensive. Something to consider as an option. P- perhaps maybe some older guys that maybe aren't going to be as expensive because they're at the, you know, the twilight of their careers, but maybe they got another year or so left in them. They can come in and, and maybe fill in a couple voids that's number one number two maybe instead of of cap capital they look at draft capital they did pick up an additional sixth round pick which isn't worth hardly anything but they got another one there must have been a uh, conditional pick based on the uh, reggie gilbert trade to the titan so they've got the ability potentially to use cap capital salary capital in lieu of a lot of just money meaning a trade is what I'm alluding to. So, for example, if we revisit that Corey Davis trade, that would be a situation where we would give up some draft capital to the Tennessee Titans, maybe give them their sixth back and then something else, I don't know. And from there, I think the Packers would be paying about $4 million. His his cap number for the 
for the year is $8 million, but the Titans are eating $4.1 million of that, meaning there would be $3.9 million left over, which considering I think this is all guaranteed money, that would have to be paid, which means it would have to be paid by the Packers. So, again, instead of paying $15 million for a guy like Brashad Perriman, which is maybe sort of the last year's playbook of how to do this, a young guy who just broke out, give him a massive amount of money, he can play with us for the next four years, whatever. New strategy, let's get a young guy that semi sort of kind of broke out, but instead of just finding one in free agency and giving him the bag, let's trade him with the Titans who are basically done with him. We, we've, they've got a new wide receiver that they like. They can't get this Corey Davis thing going. Let's move on, get a little bit of value for him and find a different direction to go in. The Packers bring in Corey Davis. They pay him only $4 million. And then next year, possibly look, depending on what happens, if it doesn't work out, we don't exercise the fifth-year option, which we do have that option once we get his contract because he's a first-round draft pick. If it works out, we exercise that option. Hopefully we have a little bit more money in 2021. I don't know what the salary cap situation looks like then. Probably not super great, to be honest, but whatever. And if the Corey Davis thing doesn't work out, we let him go. If it does work out, maybe we just give him an extension. And he's our guy now. But bottom line is... He's talking about different ways of doing things. Either way, they're going to make it work. Um, He was also asked about Jimmy Graham. He was very noncommittal, but um, as pointed out uh, by Jason Wilde in his article here, even though he's noncommittal and didn't give a yes or no, if you contrast that with last year when he was kind of expected by a lot of fans to be let go, uh, but instead brought back, he was very, very committed to the idea that he's actually a very good fit for the Packers. This year, he's kind of just pushing it off, saying, I don't know, we're going to just see how it goes. Lending to the idea that he's probably gone. Uh, he, he went on to el- elaborate on Jay Sternberger and re... I can't think of words right now. I think I'm, I'm just capped out. That's the problem. My brain is fried. He reiterated what he said several times already, and that is they're very excited about Jace, and I don't think it's fake. Part of the reason is because I've watched him, and I actually think he did a really good job. There were times when he was open that Rodgers just didn't look his way. Obviously, he's very raw, but I genuinely believe. I I believed in him in the draft. I think he was one of my favorite prospects in the entire draft at tight end. I think he's he had very little practice at Texas A&M. He had very little practice with the Packers after his injury. I think Brian, and he's been wrong. He was excited about Jimmy Graham last year, and he was wrong. Maybe they're wrong about him, but I think they're being very, very honest about the idea that they genuinely believe Jace is going to become something special. He he said that he believes that the sky is the limit, which kind of seems like a nothing statement, but it's not. A lot of guys do have limits. You do this, you do that, but I think they believe Jace can be there, do everything kind of tight end. Um, as ridiculous as it might sound to say he could be a, a Travis Kelsey or George Kittle kind of guy. Remember, George Kittle is actually a very good comp. George Kittle had a terrible first year, and then he kind of broke out after that. And by terrible, I mean, it was, I think it was his grade was like in the 60s, which is where Jace's was. Beyond that, well, he's a third-round draft pick. Okay, well, Kittle was a fifth-round pick. Most of these very good tight ends were second, third, fourth, fifth-round picks. It's not that unreasonable to think that Jay Sternberger could become a very good tight end, and I, I actually believe he will. I don't usually put my neck out in a positive way for guys. I know I have about Rashawn. I genuinely think he'll be pretty solid. But you've heard me be very negative about other guys. I, I, I like Jace. I think he's going to be a good tight end. We'll have to see. I don't know. So anyways, that's uh, sort of the highlights of the conversation that they had with Brian Gutekunst. Again, I have a lot more stuff I wanted to talk about, but we're at almost an hour, so I think I'll just cut it off there. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk with you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.